0: talk about Jesus, and I can't think of a better subject to talk about. Certainly, there's no better subject for God's people to hear about than Jesus himself. So let's stand together, please, and if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 with me. Acts chapter 1, I'll read verses 6 through 12. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. When they therefore were come together... They asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part. Of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you will now quiet our hearts and still us. I pray that you will speak to us. I pray that you will instruct us. I pray that every word that will be spoken today will be in accordance to thy will and will serve to exalt the name of Christ and will solve to strengthen your people. We ask your... Mercies and grace upon our pastor as he travels this morning. Pray you bring him home safely to us. Thank you for everyone that has come today. And I pray that you would give them a blessing for being here. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for all these things. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is coming again. I said, Jesus is coming again. That's better. I have to tell you, the first time I heard that statement, I was shocked. Growing up as a Roman Catholic in a Roman Catholic home, I'd never heard such a statement. However, once I got past the initial shock of the fact that Jesus is coming again, and I began to closely study this truth, I noticed a statement that I think most people pass right over and never even consider. We read it just a moment ago in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Now the next three words is where I will launch my message today. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. This same Jesus, not a different Jesus, not a new and improved Jesus, the same one, with the same opinions, with the same philosophies, and with the same agenda. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, The writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now this Jesus that I'm going to preach about today is not the popular Jesus of the world today. You see, today men want a different Jesus than the one we're going to preach about. Men want a feel-good Jesus. They want a Jesus that will never convict them, just make them feel good about themselves. They want a prosperity-driven Jesus. They don't want a Jesus that, that exacts upon them the cost of discipleship. They want a Jesus that just blesses and blesses and blesses, and he's like the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps going and going and giving and giving, and that's what they want. They want a tolerant Jesus. Men today say, oh, no. You can't be intolerant of other faiths. You can't be intolerant of other beliefs. They want, an in, they want a tolerant Jesus. They want a politically correct Jesus. They want a Jesus that fits their mold, fits their image, never offends anyone, never contradicts their own beliefs. You see, men today, unfortunately, do not want to face their own depraved hearts. Men don't want to believe that, as we spoke in Sunday school hour this morning, that that the heart of man is deceitful and devises evil imaginations continually. They don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe that about myself, by the way. I don't want to believe that I have a heart that can think of bad things, but that's what the Bible says. And if we believe the Word of God, we must believe the Word of God. They do not want to hear preaching that convicts them. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. And this is the day we live in. Men don't want to hear the truth today. They want smooth things that make them feel good about themselves. Today, many want to find a church where they can sing the hymns, put a, throw a small tip in the offering plate to God, hear a politically correct, feel good, you are great message. Then they want to go home and continue to live without feeling any guilt or remorse for anything in their life. That's how I was. That's how I wanted to be. Before I got saved, I didn't want to hear about how bad I was. I didn't want to go to a church where somebody was going to tell me that I was a sinner and that in my heart I was depraved. I didn't want to hear that. In Isaiah chapter 30, in verses 9 and 10, Isaiah writes, this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that, will not hear the law of the Lord. Which say to the seers, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. And this is what men want today. By and large, men today want to be lied to. And they want to be deceived when it comes to doctrinal truth. But let me say today, the truth must be preached. And how it is received is irrelevant to the message that I must preach today. I stand today in a holy office, and I must preach the truth of Christ regardless of how men receive it. Now, please understand, I want men to like me. I want people to like me. I'm a likable guy. I can be a pretty nice guy. Ask my students, am I a nice guy, guys? <laughs> but you know, true preaching... Historically has not been graciously received by the world has it Stephen was stoned to death for preaching the truth Paul was dragged into the streets of Lystra stoned and left for dead for preaching the truth about Jesus John Bunyan was locked in a London prison for nearly 12 years because he refused to stop preaching the truth about Jesus Over the centuries, thousands and thousands and thousands of Christian men, women, and children were martyred during the Inquisitions because they refused to stop believing in and speaking and preaching the truth about Jesus. So this same Jesus that left is coming again. And the one that's coming back is not the popular Jesus... Of today. Yet it matters not whether he is popular with the masses of people today because Jesus is coming again. I said, Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, when he comes, he expects to find us doing what he told us to do. When my daddy used to come home, before he left in the morning, he left a list of chores. And when my daddy came home, they had better be done. Because if there was not, if they were not done, they would be done before I went to bed that night. Regardless of how long it took. And Jesus is coming again, and he has given us something to do. However, it will be hard for some of us to do what we should be doing when we're not even sure which Jesus is coming back. So which Jesus is coming back? Well, the Jesus that left was Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, upon his last visit to the earth, Jesus came as the Lamb of God. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, we read, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he came to be the sacrificial lamb. He came as a meek and dumb lamb before his shearers. In Isaiah 53, 7, we read, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. In Matthew chapter 27, we read, And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. And indeed, Christ did come to die for all that God has called unto repentance. And as confirmed in Scripture, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans tells us in chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And once again, as confirmed in Scripture, all whom God has called will hear his voice and will respond. In John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus states, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And today, as I stand here preaching, The voice of the Lamb still calls out unto men today. But that voice will one day be quieted. The call will no longer go out to men. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3 we read, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. This term strive is derived from two Hebrew words. The word odon, meaning to rule over or to be sovereign over. And the word dun, meaning to plead. And when we combine these two, Greek word, these two Hebrew words together, we, we find a paraphrase that implies that God's offer of grace will end. It will cease. It is finite. So today, if you sit here in this room, and you hear the call of God, and you are not saved, repent and be saved today. For the day is coming when the Lamb of God will return as Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And that day, he will not come with an offer of peace. Rather, he will come with his sword drawn to deliver the wrath of God upon sinful men. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Zechariah, in the major prophets at the end. Zechariah chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 1 through 9. We read, beginning at verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the cities shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee, like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day... That the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, shall there be one Lord and his name, one Oh, yes, my dear friends. This is why our testimony is so important today. This is why we must be a witness for Christ today. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus states, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, your children, your relatives, your co-workers, your friends. They all face this terrible day unless they repent and be saved. And you and I do not know whom God has called, but knowing the great and terrible day that approaches, we must not fail to warn them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul states, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Urgent and serious is the task that's set before you and I today. In Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 7, God told Ezekiel to write this, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. And if we do not understand the truth of the nature of Christ upon his return, we will fail to sense the urgency or the seriousness in the commission given us by Christ. The role assumed by Christ when he came as the Lamb of God has caused many to have the wrong opinion of Jesus' nature. Many today would have us believe that Jesus will return with the same meek nature that he ascended into heaven with, that he will return with the same love and compassion for the loss that he had as the Lamb. Yet this is a false assumption, and realizing this, we are admonished to preach the truth concerning these things. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2, Paul writes to Timothy and says, "I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine." I want you to notice with me for a moment here the verbs used by Paul as he admonishes Timothy to preach. First, he says, reprove. And to reprove means to blame or to charge with a fault to the face. Listen, don't get upset with the preacher when the preaching gets under your skin. That is the purpose of preaching. The purpose of preaching is to expose error. It's to expose sin. What did King David do when faced with the reproval of Nathan? We don't have time to turn to it today, but you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12 later, verses 1 through 13, as Nathan relates the story to David of the rich man who had all he needed, yet he stole the one little lamb that his neighbor had, and then when his neighbor found out he stole it, he had the neighbor put to death. And Nathan spoke about this, and of course he was referring to David's sin, with Bathsheba, and after David committed immoral sin with Bathsheba, and she was found to be with child, David had her husband, Uriah, sent to the very front of the battle, to the hottest part of the battle, and had him had him killed. And Nathan came to David, and, and, and David, when he, when he heard this horrible story, was incensed. And Nathan pointed his finger at David and said, Thou art the man. And when, Nathan, when David heard that preaching, when Nathan exposed to David his sin, what did David do? Oh, well, that's not, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm, I'm going to go find me another prophet. That's not what David did. David said, I have sinned against God. And David repented, and he got right with God. If my preaching or the preaching of another person brings conviction to your heart, do not get upset. Rejoice and be glad that God loves you enough to show you your errors. But not only does he tell us to reprove, secondly, he tells us to rebuke. And to rebuke means to reprehend for a fault, means to chasten or to silence. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19 and verse 10, we read, And what cause soever shall come to you of your brethren that dwell in their cities, between blood and blood, between law and commandment, statutes and judgments? Ye shall even warn them that they trespass not against the Lord. And so wrath come upon you and upon your brethren. This do, and ye shall not trespass. And it is the job of the preacher to reprove. It is the job of the preacher to rebuke. But it's also the job of the preacher to exhort. And to exhort means to use words or arguments to incite one unto good deeds. Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24... And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So preaching is intended to provoke men. We are admonished to compel. And that word compel means to obligate men to come in. In Luke fourteen twenty three, we read, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. In other words, It is my responsibility and your responsibility to warn men that there is only one way to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, and to warn them that he is coming again in his glory and with the sword of God. Such is the responsibility of every preacher to preach the whole counsel of God. Not with arrogance, not with malice, not with contempt, rather preaching truth. Without regard to the consequences for preaching truth, trying to be as compassionate and tender as he can in his preaching, Paul tells us in Colossians, "Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man." And, and my friends, I don't take pleasure today in standing here and telling us that the Lord is coming again with the with the sword of God drawn in hand to to to. Uh, to bring the wrath and justice of God upon sinful men. I don't take pleasure in preaching that, but it is the truth, and men must hear it. Praise God that a man preached the truth to me 26 years ago, and I heard the truth, and I maybe didn't like it, but I responded and, re- and, 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 and answered the call of God and was born again. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Thank God for preaching. And thank God for preachers. The same Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is coming again. Then the last time Jesus came, he came as Jesus, the servant of man. In Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, we read, But Jesus called them to him, and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even like the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many, on his last visit to earth, Jesus came as a servant. He did not come as a king. He came as a servant. Now, over the years, I've falsely falsely—I've heard it falsely said by, by preachers, unfortunately. I've heard this statement. If Israel had embraced Christ as Messiah, he would have not had to die, and he would have ushered in the kingdom of God on the spot. I've heard preachers preach that. But I must state today, that is not a true statement. It is made by men that believe that man can control the ushering in of the kingdom of God. How ludicrous a statement for someone to... And, 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 and please don't take this wrongly, but how ignorant of truth a man must be to make such a statement. Consider for a moment the question, can salvation come without the death of Christ? Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission of sins. Now, to stay on track, I'm not going to launch off into an expository dissertation on this. That's for another time. But we must understand that Christ came to minister unto and die for the elect of God. For him to usher in the kingdom at that time would have meant that the word of God, Holy Scripture, was yet determined. However, we know that is not true also. Because in Psalm 119, verse 89, we read, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. No, the last time Jesus came, he came as a servant. He came to die. But this time, he is coming as Jesus, the sovereign king. We read it earlier in Zechariah 14 in verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. One Lord. Of course, there is only one Lord today as well, if the truth be known. But men will truly know in that day that Christ is Lord. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 through 8 tells us this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Christ came to offer himself a sacrifice the lamb of god he came to serve sinful men but that was before he ascended that was before he went to heaven but now when he returns paul tells us in the same chapter the very the very three next verses wherefore god also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This time, he's coming back as the King of Kings. He's coming back as the Lord of Lords. And with him, he will bring all the authority granted to a king. Now, in in closing this morning, let me share two more things with you. First of all, he's coming with the authority to commend. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 10, we read, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Now, I fear today that many believers are not even aware of the judgment seat of Christ. In Romans 14, verses 10 through 12, Paul tells us, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? Now, that's a good question. Why in the world are we worried about what our neighbor has done or what our brother has done? We have enough problems of our own to worry about, don't we? We have enough we have enough um, faults in our own life to keep us occupied. Jesus said, "You've got you've got this big old whopping beam hanging out your eye, and you're over here trying to pull a little speck out of your brother's eye." Jesus said, "Why don't you get the beam out of your eye first, and then maybe you'll be able to see clearly to help your brother?" Matter of fact, let me tell you this: If we get the beam out of our own eye, then we won't we won't We'll love our brethren. We won't be judging them as we're not supposed to do. It's the beam that's the problem. But he goes on. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Many, myself included, will be disappointed at that day. Can I state today that none of us will stand proudly before Christ. Before we start judging each other, you better remember, and I better remember, that I've got to stand before him too, and my head is going to be hung pretty low when I do. When we look into that face, which bears the scars of the beatings by the Roman soldiers, when we look upon those hands and feet that were pierced, with the crooked and rusty nails. When we view his side, which was run through with the centurion's spear, we will hide our face in shame, and we will cry. But praise God, it will be the last tears we'll ever shed. Because in Revelation 21, 4, it says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Hallelujah. We're not going to be proud when we stand before Christ. None of us are. I know some preachers running around this country that think that God's going to roll out the red carpet and blow the trumpets when they get there. But they're going to crawl on their bellies before None of us can measure up to the wonder, the beauty, and the glory, and the magnificence of our sovereign king, who is coming again. And he's bringing with him the authority to commend. But he's also bringing with him the authority to condemn. In Matthew 7, We read, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work in iniquity. Now, the knowledge of this does not give me joy today. When I think about all the people that, will face, that are facing and will face an eternity in the lake of fire, I have no joy in that. It grieves me. It, it sorrows my heart. Paul said he had great sorrow and heaviness for his people, the Jewish people. He said, for I bear them record. They have a zeal for God, he said, but not according to knowledge. He went on to say that they've gone about to establish their own righteousness, our religion. Our religion and they've ignored the righteousness of God. And I have no joy today in the fact that people are going to go to hell. However, as the sovereign God and king, Jesus has the authority to condemn whomsoever he will condemn. And by his own will, he has chosen a people to save. In John 15, 16, we read, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. In John chapter 10, verses 25 and 26, we read, Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. And the And as the one true and sovereign God, Jesus has the authority to condemn. Listen, I don't know why God chose to save me. But can I tell you something? (laughs) I'm not going to ask him why. I'm just glad he did. I'm just glad he did. And I, I tell you, he's my sovereign king. He he came as Jesus, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of his people. But he's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back with the sword of God and the holy angels and hosts with him. And he's coming back to take God's wrath upon a sinful world. He came as a servant to die for me. But now he's coming back as my king, as my Lord. And I am waiting for him, so I can bow before him and worship him face to face. This same Jesus. Let me ask you, which Jesus are you looking for today? There's still time to answer the call of Jesus, the Lamb of God. If you are not saved today, answer his call and be saved. Because soon, maybe even today... Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, will be coming again. And for those of us who are saved today, there is still time to follow the example of Jesus, the servant. Still time to love one another. Still time to bear one another's burdens. Still time to labor and serve in the local church. Because soon the night will come, and we will not be able to serve as the Lord has asked us to serve. Soon, Jesus, the sovereign king, will come and there will be no more time to do the things for his kingdom and for his glory that he has called us to do. Which Jesus are you looking for today? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this time. Holy Spirit of God, I pray you will take this message. I pray it will be received in the spirit it was preached. Father, I pray you'd strengthen us and. Give us wisdom to see the Jesus that is coming again and that we would not waste the time that you've given us here on this earth pursuing frivolous things, but that we would invest our time in serving you and in, in preaching the gospel and seeking your children. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us. If there be any here today that is not saved, I pray that your spirit would call unto them and I pray that they would be here and be saved. And for those of us that are saved, I pray you'd strengthen us in our hearts and in our minds, that you'd give us a zeal to serve you, that you would stir our hearts and not allow us to be content with just sitting back and watching others do, but that we would have a burning passion to be a witness for you, to help our brothers and sisters, to serve in the local church, to do all those things that you asked us to do. So I pray you'd strengthen us today. Thank you for your word. And Father, we preached your word today. I didn't preach my opinions. I didn't preach my philosophies. I preached the living, true word of God. And you promised your word will not return unto you void, so I trust that it will do what you intended it to do today. Strengthen your people, I pray. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for these things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.